Hey guys, and welcome to the HSC Biology Podcast. My name is Mr. Colella, and I'm going to be running you through the core concepts in the HSC Biology Syllabus. So, stay tuned and enjoy. Biology. 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 Thanks for that, Rick. Well, we might as well get started, hey? Let's get into it. Module number five, heredity, is where we begin. And it's always important to look at that inquiry question before each topic. So this one is, how does reproduction ensure the continuity of a species? And you can think about it like every point underneath that I'm going to go through answers that question. So this certainly could be an extended response or nine mark question in the exam. That's a good way to think about the inquiry questions. Could you put together a nine mark answer? And um, I guess, as I just said before, the, the key points I'm about to talk about are the ways in which you would answer that question. So underneath the inquiry question are the key points. And the first key point is explain the mechanisms of reproduction that ensure the continuity of a species by analyzing sexual and asexual methods of reproduction in a variety of organisms, including but not limited to animals, advantages and of external and internal fertilization, plants, asexual and sexual reproduction, fungi, budding and spores, bacteria, binary fission and protists, binary fission and budding as well. So when we look at the key points for the syllabus, it's really important to take into account the way in which they have used plurals throughout because you often will get a question in the exam that will have an S at the end or asks for examples and that's where it's important to make sure that you are giving uh, or remembering examples when they ask you to. So the first one says explain the mechanisms. Okay, so there's your first dot point to look at and then it goes on and talks about asexual methods and methods of reproduction in a variety of organisms. So you can see in that first dot point there is uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, specific uh, content that is to do with more than one individual or animal. So we're going to break the, the key points down there and have a look at what they mean. And I guess we can start at what the mechanisms are for reproduction, so sexual and asexual reproduction. So sexual reproduction, great place to start. Uh, probably shouldn't have put that in there, but let's go through the key concepts there, which pretty much are the fact that two individuals are involved and it is the combination of gametes. Those are the sex cells for the individual animals. The combination of those gametes will create usually a unique individual, um, which will increase the chance of survival. So we will be talking about uh, those uh, gametes a bit later when we go through meiosis but for now just remember the fact that sexual reproduction usually involves two individuals and it is the combination of gametes all right let's talk about asexual reproduction now i'll tell you why cause i'm all alone there's no one here beside me Yes, thank you for that, Donkey. We uh, With asexual reproduction, there is only one organism that's going to be involved. And they are going to be genetically identical to their parent because the DNA they receive will be a copy of the parent DNA. And some examples of that are budding and binary fission that we are going to go through now. 
Now, there is one other mechanism I suppose we could talk about here, which is uh, parthenogenesis, which is pretty cool. It's where an organism that doesn't usually uh, give birth asexually is able to produce an offspring without the uh, the use of a mate. And so there are random examples in uh, the animal kingdom where this can occur. Uh, and one that was more recent was a, uh, a stingray, I believe, um, that gave birth in a tank full of only female stingrays and it managed to to give birth. So um, it can happen, but it is pretty rare. Um, Obviously another sort of facet to evolution which increases the chance of survival. So a pretty cool one there. All right, now we are going to take a look at the advantages and disadvantages of sexual and asexual reproduction. Yes, I think that's a good place to start, Gloria. With the uh, advantages of sexual reproduction, they do include the higher likelihood of survival for the offspring. Um, And that is because they are being nurtured in a womb, they are being carried around and being cared for and supported with hormones and nutrition um, from the parent. Um, So another advantage of sexual reproduction would be increase in variation, which is due to the combination of the gametes and crossing over, which we learn about a bit later. Um, and also the fact that they are protected from predators. So I usually like to give at least three examples for each of the key points. Um, That way you kind of cover your tracks if you're asked to give examples. Um, Some of the disadvantages of sexual reproduction include the uh, greater time and energy expenditure. So you've kind of got to go out there and find a mate or um, engage in courtship. Um, uh, Sometimes it's dangerous and so there can be issues with... um, how to sort of achieve the goal um, and obviously it requires two individuals which compared to asexual reproduction is a disadvantage um, and they have to find each other as well. Some of the advantages of asexual reproduction is that there is no need to find a mate so they can just do it whenever. Population can increase rapidly, less time and energy expenditure and there is a quick production time. Some of the disadvantages include a- of asexual reproduction include the fact that there is no variation. So this is probably a really important point that they'll ask you to distinguish between. Um, as you can see, them doing potential crossover questions here with uh, meiosis and, and crossing over, no pun intended. <clears throat> and there are susceptibility to changes as well. So if there is a disease that affects the population, their DNA isn't varied enough for them to survive. And this is a pretty big issue considering um, evolution is usually benefited by these small changes that are in a species that allow species to uh, survive over time due to environmental changes. Um, But the uh, individuals that do produce asexually do have other mechanisms to help survive. So, for example, bacteria have a pretty high mutation rate. Um, That helps them to change rapidly uh, when there are environmental pressures as uh, most of their DNA is coding DNA. All right, so that brings us to the end of the advantages and disadvantages. Um, and it's a good idea to kind of tabulate these key factors. Um, so put them into a table if you can. And a good way to think about the table is um, <coughs> each level should be able to be distinguishably different between them. So, for instance, the number of organisms involved, so sexual 2, asexual 1, the cell division, so how the cells are dividing. Um, so sexual, you need gametes involved and in... Uh, asexual you don't you can uh, split by binary fission or a couple other methods we'll talk about in a minute Um, the different types of uh, reproduction 
the variation which is involved, the unit of reproduction, the time taken, and the number of offspring as well. So all good points to consider when you are asked to potentially tabulate the difference between them. All right, let's talk about the advantages and disadvantages of internal and external fertilization. So internal fertilization is fertilization that occurs inside the organism, which is conceiving the child or baby. And external fertilization is where the gametes meet outside the bodies. Um, and they, they're usually in a, uh, here's everybody's favorite word, moist environment, uh, where the uh, gametes are able to successfully combine um, and exchange genetic material so with internal fertilization there is a higher success rate because there is not that uh environmental pressure of you know stuff going everywhere um there's less danger involved as well if the individuals are able to uh fertilize successfully um it's safer for the offspring and there's fewer eggs that are needed which is pretty important in conserving energy um, for all organisms the disadvantages are that most internally producing uh, organisms produce less offspring. So less uh, viable offspring means that there is a uh, less likely chance of the species surviving. Um, and there's also actually less variation compared to external fertilization. So with less variation, there's still heaps of variation. There's crossing over from the gametes, there is the random mix of, of the uh, sperm and egg cell. Um, but when you talk about external fertilization, you've got to remember there's many more eggs than there are uh, in internal fertilization. And so for that reason, there is less variation, but they are still very varied. With uh, external fertilization, as I said before, this occurs outside the body, usually in a wet environment. And the uh, a good example of this would be something like um, a fish, frogs, coral, those sort of things produce uh, um, offspring externally. And uh, the advantages are that they produce more gametes, so that creates more variation. They are suited for an aquatic environment, so the, the, the gametes work well in an aquatic environment. There is less time and energy expended from the parents, so the parents are able to um, exchange material externally and not spend too much time uh, waiting to see what happens, they kind of just, you know, go. Thanks for that, Wham. Uh, and then there is a, a wide dispersal of offspring, which increases survival rates. So because they make so many eggs and so many sperm, and it just sort of, if you think about it in the ocean, it kind of goes everywhere. Uh, this isn't sounding too good. It uh, obviously creates a, a large sort of area in which offspring can t can move to um, and hopefully survive in for the species. With the disadvantages, um, because there are two organisms re required, it's still a form of sexual reproduction. The chances of the gametes meeting is, is less because if you think about it, they could be in different areas. There could be sort of a, um, a current that is moving things in the wrong direction, get their timing off. Um, there are predators involved quite often as well. These are usually uh, culmination events where there are multiple different animals that are in the area trying to take advantage of the um, large amount of, of food that is available. And uh, there is no parental care. So that means, again, the less likely offspring uh, to survive. As I said before, we have the frogs, coral, fish that all produce externally and uh, internally producing organisms include 
mammals and birds. All right, that brings us to the end of the animal section. Now we're going to look at the ways in which plants can reproduce, and they can reproduce both sexually and asexually. So with a plant, uh, usually their reproducing organ is a flower, or at least it's, it's, it's an easy way to understand their, their different organs. So with the female parts of the flower... It is hard to describe, um, but if you think about it in the in the very middle, um, a sort of sphere or a circle, um, the ovary, and then uh, inside that ovary is ovules. These are the uh, eggs, um, and then on top of that is kind of like a you can think of it like a long tube with a with a cap on the end. Uh, it's a good way to think about it, kind of like a pistol or a, or a gun, and that's another name for it. The female parts is the pistol, and um, if we, if we look at that part, you have the ovary down the bottom, the circle, and then the tube going up is the uh, style, and then sitting on top is the stigma. And the stigma is very important. That's where the pollen has to land. Um, so that's the female part of the flower, and there are both male and female parts on flowers. Some flowers only have one, some flowers only have the other, and some have both. Um, even if they have both, some may... Um, open at different times, as in the different parts may may uh, sort of start at different times. So pollen may be produced at a different time to the stigma being ready to receive the pollen. And that is to minimize the idea of this uh, variation problem, which can occur if they are self-fertilizing. Um, so self-fertilization still does create unique offspring because, because it is a combination of the gametes Absolutely. from the plant um, or, or the 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 sperm and the egg, but in this case it's the pollen and the ovules, um, they still have undergone crossing over before meeting. So they're, they're going to get a varied offspring, but obviously you want to increase variation to increase your chance of survival. So that's the female part of the flower. Now the male part of the flower, you can think about it like long stringy bits that kind of hang off the side of the female part of the flower down at the, the uh, ovary. And the filament is a long stringy filament and on top of it sits a little pad and that pad is an anther and that is where the uh, pollen is produced and the pollen can be lots of different types um, but it's easy to think about it as like a light dusty um, really small fine grain that can easily be moved around and the idea is for the plant to re reproduce sexually the pollen has to land on a stigma somewhere and that uh, pollen will then grow a tubule down into the ovary and deposit the DNA into the ovule. Uh, so that's the process of a plant reproducing sexually and it is the combination of gametes. And uh, in this case, they only need one individual. So there was a question in the HSC not long ago or in one of the trial papers it might have been that asked you to sort of... Um, uh, analyze whether or not it was sexual or asexual reproduction. Um, it's still sexual reproduction because it is the combination of gametes, but it's certainly a blurred line because there is only one individual involved. Um, but for the most part, plants want to reproduce with different plants. Um, that is pollen landing on the stigma of a different flower, the same species. And as I said before, the pollen grows down, deposits the DNA, and uh, that swells up into a fruit. That fruit, um, not always a fruit, it can be multiple things, but it's always easier for me to think about it like a fruit, will swell up and inside that fruit will be seeds. And if an animal eats the fruit and then um, you know deposits the seeds somewhere else, that uh, hopefully will create a tree which or plant which can survive and grow and uh, be varied once again. And uh, that is the basic structure of the 
uh, flower. So with the ways in which fertilization can occur, pollen can be moved around by either bird or wind or insects or animals. And the idea is, once again, the overall success of the species. And that will occur if the pollen is able to land on a stigma somewhere and hopefully fertilize a plant. So that is sexual reproduction in plants. Let's talk about asexual reproduction in plants now. And with uh, plants reproducing asexually, they have a number of different mechanisms. So a good example is a modified stem called a runner. And these are ones that you probably have seen at the beach where you see grass that is uh, sort of laid in these long strings across the beach. And every so once in a while, there is a small tuft of, uh, of grass attached to that uh, long string. And that's the way in which it's growing across from place to place. And if one stem is to be separated, those little buds that are growing or those little sections that are growing along the way basically have the ability to grow into a new plant. So this uh, creates an increased chance of survival and helps out with evolution. So that's a runner <clears throat> and they are above ground. And a good example of that is spinifex grass. Another example that you can look at is where the root goes underground. So very, very similar process. Um, and rhizomes like ginger are a good example. They grow underground and they put up a bud um, or, or a new plant and that continues along and they keep putting up new plants. Once again, if there is a disconnection from the original parent, they're able to continue growing into a new plant. With the modified roots, we have a great example in potatoes. So, potatoes, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. If you have ever looked in your pantry at home, those of you who cook, you may have noticed that the potatoes are starting to grow. They have little roots coming out of them, and that is because they have the ability to grow into a new plant as well. There is enough information and energy in them to begin to grow. They are kind of like giant seeds, you can almost think of them. But they uh, do contain the full set of genetic information to grow into a new plant. And those potatoes are a form of tuba, is their name. Um, there are other examples too, like apomixis, which is a bit of a complicated one. Similar to parthenogenesis, or a different type, I believe, of parthenogenesis where the plant is able to basically start the production of a new plant without the need for a seed. Um, spores as well is another complex one um, where ferns are able to launch their haploid spores into the uh, air, which hopefully land on the ground. Um, they then go through a pretty complex process of uh, joining together um, and then somehow reproducing sexually sort of later uh, in their evolution or in their cycle. But again, it's quite complex, the uh, production of spores into a new fern. Um, but again, a, a very successful way for a plant uh, not having to worry about the sexual reproduction. All right, let's move on to another organism that can reproduce asexually, and that is fungi. And this might be a good time for me to tell my fungi joke. So, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> why did the mushroom go to the party? <laughs> because he was a fun guy. <laughs> I am so sorry. There's a second to the joke as well which i'll tell a bit later all right back to fungi so with fungi you have to keep in mind that they are a eukaryotic organism with a cell wall which will be important to remember later when we do the stuff on uh, infectious disease 
but they have a pretty cool ability where they can reproduce using their haploid cells um, and they can all join together. Um, so what they do is they use spores similar to the ferns I spoke about before and they launch them to different parts around the main body. Now the main body of the fungi is called the mycelium and you can imagine that like the central nervous system the brain of the fungi and these spores land in lots of different locations around the mycelium and they start to grow these string-like fibers called hyphae and they all connect back to this mycelium and they become part of that mycelium so it's a really ingenious way to to spread out over a large area and then use those hyphae to grow and connect back. Um, and they are pretty cool, these uh, these little launches, if you do want to check them out on YouTube. Um, they can reproduce in a number of different ways as well. So budding. Budding is a pretty simple one where an organism basically makes a little version of itself. And that little version then drops off or stays connected and then keeps growing into a new organism. So it's a, a little bud, a bud version. And there are a few animals that can do it as well, like hydras, which is a an organism that lives in the ocean. Um, and they basically uh, yeah, grow a tiny little version of themselves, which sort of pops off and then is able to grow and function as a new organism. So again, another form of asexual reproduction. One other one we could talk about as well is fragmentation. And fragmentation is where a bit of the organism will break off and regrow into a new organism. So there is enough information in the part that is chopped off for it to grow into a new organism. And a good example, um, apart from fungi, uh, are planaria, which is a worm that you can look at um, that are, are very s simple. They have a, basically a, an eye that tells them to go away from the light and into the darkness. Um, and again, they are able to reproduce if uh, they are separated or cut into pieces. Their fragments will grow into new species, which is pretty cool. All right, so that is uh, asexual methods of reproduction in fungi. All right, let's talk about bacteria now. And bacteria also reproduce asexually. They are simple organisms. They are prokaryotic, which means they have no membrane-bound organelles. They undergo a process called binary fission, F-I-S-S-I-O-N. And this process involves literally splitting pretty much down the middle and creating an identical copy. Now, this process is pretty useful for scientists um, to exploit uh, in making things like insulin uh, via gene cloning, and we do talk about that a bit later as well. So that is binary fission in bacteria. All right, and finally, let's talk about protists. Now, these are pretty weird creatures. Uh, protists are eukaryotic in nature. They look very similar to bacteria because they're unicellular. There's only one of them, but they don't really have a cell wall, um, but they do have those membrane-bound organelles. And that's important to remember once again for when we get down to the infectious disease topic because protozoans fit into the category of protists. So you can see a crossover question potentially here. Um, now those uh, protozoans, or in this case we'll just call them protists, have the ability to use binary fission as well, but they undergo the process of mitosis. So it's a bit different in bacteria. It doesn't undergo the complete PMAT, prophase, metaphase, anaphase, telophase uh, segment that again we're going to go through a bit later. Um, but the binary fission in, uh, in the uh, protists is a little bit more, I guess, complex because there are organelles being replicated as well as the DNA. Um, and those are membrane-bound organelles as well. Um, as it divides, it's going to become two new individuals. 
and those individuals are going to be genetically identical. So once again, decreasing the variability within a species, uh, but a very successful way of making a new copy. Um, one main difference between them, apart from the fact that they are eukaryotes and they use that mitosis process, is that their division isn't always uh, regular. In other words, they can divide in different parts and make different shapes uh, or they are asymmetrical, sometimes you, you might hear. Um, so a good example of that is um, plasmodium, which, as I said before, uh, fits into the category of an infectious pathogen. And those pathogens have an amazing ability, actually, to do multiple things. They can not only produce asexually via binary fission in that mitosis phase, they actually have the ability to produce, uh, reproduce sexually as well. So once again, they are they can increase their variability, and they actually do this in their entire life cycle uh, between mosquitoes and humans. So malaria is the disease that is caused by plasmodium, and that life cycle is very complex, which involves them. Um, uh, reproducing, as I said, asexually and sexually inside the human host and inside the mosquito they can reproduce sexually. So very complex um, and, and pretty unique creatures. All right, well, that brings us to the end of sort of dot point number one, which is quite a large one. Um, we'll probably get a few more into the next podcast, but I hope you guys enjoyed that for today and uh, stay tuned for the next episode. See you later.